Habits and Health, episode 90. Welcome back to Habits and Health. Today, my guest is Matthew Labosco, who has been working with thousands of individuals in his coaching practice for over two decades. And he discovered the danger of trying to avoid and manage stress. And he's devoted his practice to empower individuals across many areas of life to partner, align and leverage stress to live the most meaningful and purposeful lives possible. So he studied, trained and apprenticed in the fields of psychology, neuroscience, physical rehabilitation, nutritional science, meditation and spirituality. So we're going to find out a lot more about what does Matthew mean when he talks about rather than trying to manage stress, instead actually leveraging stress. So we're going to find out more from Matthew in today's episode. And if you know anyone who gets some value from this, please do share the episode with them. Welcome to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Habits and Health, my guest today, Matthew Labusco. How are you, Matthew? I'm doing fantastic, Tony. How are you? I'm doing well. We're back in Florida again. Yeah, second time this week, huh? Yeah, where it's at. When this is released, it will be, yeah, there won't, it won't be the second time in a week as far as the release is concerned, but yeah. Good point, yes. But you're clearly not a Floridian by that accent. Nope, you nailed it, my friend. I am from the Northeast, Jersey, New York, tri-state area, as they say, yes. Obviously, the weather's very similar, isn't it? I'll tell you, the summers aren't that different in New York City than Florida from a humidity standpoint. At least the last couple of years we were in New York City, I would say similar. And there's no water in Manhattan that you really want to jump into. Being on the coast of Florida, I would choose that any day of the week. So when did you, have you did you stop at other places before making it to Florida? How did you get down there? Yeah, I, my wife and I, believe it or not, have moved about 17 times since we've been married. And it was all part of being on this mission to find of a new way to, to relate to health and vitality, which I'm sure we're gonna get into today. But so I lived in California for about 13 years, Southern Cal, Florida, different Manhattan, different places in New Jersey. So Boston, Massachusetts. So we've been around the block for sure. So when, where was the first place you moved to when you first left New Jersey? So it was our First, Manhattan, if you count, if you don't count the moves in between New Jersey and New York, the first big move was to Florida. And we did a small stint here in Florida. We were actually in Manhattan when 9-11 happened, which was quite an experience as you could imagine. And then I think we stuck around for maybe another year and just were done with the winters and the summers really. And my sister had moved down to Southern Florida. So we're like, hey, let me get out of here and check out Southern Florida. And so we moved to Florida first. We were only there for about six to seven months. And then we moved to Southern California to study with my first most influential mentor. And we were out there for about 13 years. And then we moved back to Florida about six or seven years ago. Moving from New York to Florida, that's quite a big move. How easy or difficult was that? I would say I wouldn't say it was difficult. Like I said, my wife and I got used to <laughs> packing stuff up and relocating. Not to say that it's not a lot of work and doesn't throw a wrench in the flow of things, but I know for me for sure, and my wife Eve was right there with me, we were just on a mission to 
to get some answers to questions that we just didn't feel like were very accessible. Yes, it was challenging to move a lot, but it was well worth it. And we just weren't willing to settle really. So someone would look at that and say, you guys are insane. And I totally get that. But what I would say is it was totally worth it based on what we've been able to create from those experiences. So let's get into that then. So what have you been able to create? And maybe take a step back, where did this all begin? Yeah, so it really began with my own experience with my health. I grew up in the medical model. My my dad's a doctor, my mom's a nurse practitioner, which obviously has a ton of perks growing up being that connected to the medical model. But that being said, by the age of 22, I had five orthopedic surgeries just from various sports problems. Basketball, soccer, and baseball were my three sports. And I just got to the point where I really started to, to ask the question, man, there's got there's to be another way. There's got to be a different way to do this. And uh, had some pretty powerful experiences of my own trying to navigate what was happening with my body, uh, which led me to really ask why things were being recommended in the, the way they were in the health model. So I just started to really ask, wait, why are we doing this? Wait, why are we strengthening this muscle? And fl- and like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we, why do I need to strengthen my core? Can you give me more to that? Wait, why am I eating salad? Why is that the healthy thing to do? And a lot of times the answer was, well, it's just what we do. It's just the way it's been. And what I found was that when I dove into the why, like the principles behind these recommendations, they were not very strong. (laughs) They were not very stable. And they were based on things that I would say are very outdated. And so it led on this 20-year journey, number one, managing my own physical body at first, and then navigating lots of different systemic illnesses and things that my wife and I were managing, just different inflammatory processes, all kinds of hormonal things that my wife was managing. And again, like we had direct access to the medical model, right? And there's so many things just didn't make sense. And I couldn't really get good answers as to why we were doing what we were doing besides that's what we do. And I'm like, okay, why? And just just started to see there was such, so many holes (laughs) in why things were being recommended. And then the last 10 years, I took a deep dive into the, we'll call it the mindset, personal development, psychology space, and found the same theme. It's like, wait, why are we telling people to do this? Why are we telling people to avoid stress and try to avoid it and mitigate it and turn off the stressors? Like, why are we doing this? And I just, again, found that there weren't a lot of good answers to these things. And the other thing I also found across the board in those three spaces, the movement, the systemic, and the, we'll call personal development space, and again, you can call this unintended consequences, but it is the world we live in, that most of these systems created dependency on the system. It just kept people in it. And it was not something I really, I didn't want to be dependent upon some system. I don't want to be dependent on some pill, medication, supplement, I don't know, whatever was being thrown at us. I wanted to learn how to be empowered. And that was when I started to break down the difference between health and vitality. And I realized that the health paradigm was extremely limited. And when you look at health and how health is defined, it's the absence of illness or disease. Can we do better than that, please? I just don't think I incarnated to be absence of illness. Like there's gotta be more than that. So this idea of vitality, like when you look up the definition of vitality, it's exuberant, 
physical health, mental vigor. It's living meaning and purpose. It's living life to the fullest extent, like getting every drop of life out of life. I want that. <laughs> I don't want this absence of illness and disease. And so I, my wife and I, we really sought out information that was more rooted in creating that experience of life. And that's been the 20 year journey and why we move so much and why I would get up at the drop of a dime. And if somebody was creating results in a way that produced this incredible result and vitality for somebody, like I would drop everything and move. Like that was just, and God bless my wife. She was right there with me. And, and that's been the 20 year journey. And it's been, I'm not going to say it's been easy. It's, as you said, getting up and moving a lot. Tony is yeah. like, yeah, it's tough, <laughs> but I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was well worth it. There's a few things that I'm going to explore in what you just said. But one of the things that came to mind as you were saying that was, so you grew up in this background where your dad's a doctor. I think you said your mum was involved some point. Nurse, nurse practitioner. Right. It made me think, so when you were talking about how you were questioning things, I think it was at 22 and how things weren't making sense to you. So was there, I wonder when you were growing up, was there frustration from your dad about the medical system? Or so? Is that where that came from, that questioning? Why? I wouldn't say there was. I would say that my dad was a phenomenal physician. He was an OBGYN and a lot of the people that I would meet in town were like, hey, your father delivered my son or my daughter. I, I got out of speeding tickets because of my dad. Thanks, dad. I don't know <laughs> if he knows that. but So he was very well known and very well respected and you could bump into people and say, oh my God, your dad. Mm -hmm. And so I, I didn't get that from them. I would say both of them were and are still pretty committed to that paradigm, although I've definitely influenced it to some degree <laughs> over the 20 years. But no, I didn't see him struggling with it in the beginning. A couple of things I would say that I saw started to become an issue, and I'll never forget this one thing he said to me that had a big impact on me was when, because this is when I was really questioning things. And I asked him, I don't remember what we were talking about, but I was asking him why certain tests were done and why have we named that the marker for X, Y, and Z and just getting into it with him. And I'm very gracious because he would entertain me on all of these conversations. And what age were you talking about? It was probably my, like in my mid twenties okay. to thirties, really when I was really getting after it in a pretty intense way. I'm a pretty, I have a tendency to go all in for better or for worse. And he said to me once, he goes, Matt, I have eight minutes to figure out why someone has a headache. I was like, wow, that put things in perspective a little bit. And I don't know if it was always that way, but it was the first time I sensed he was like, yeah, like I got eight minutes with people. Like I got to run them through this thing. And so he's, I just got to go with probability. Okay. If this person has a headache, it's probably X. And if I give them Y, they'll probably won't have a headache anymore. And if it's not, 70 percent well then it's 30 percent then the rest of it's usually this other thing and i was just like oh my god man something's seriously wrong with the system here. so that was the first time i sensed i like he was a little handcuffed a little bit and i feel and did, like but did he realize that? never articulated it to me in that way my dad wasn't somebody that would say those things out loud but i sensed it for sure tony when i think he practiced a long time and one thing that also really influenced me with my dad and he once he retired he finally retired no one thought my dad was ever going to retire right and i said dad why did you retire why did you hang it up and he's Matt, i realized for the first time in my career i just did the bare minimum in my educational requirements and I said, 
that's something's changed. And I mm. said, wow, man, that's so cool, man. I think I understand why I, I get this urge to learn and passion from. Like when he said that, I was like, wow, that's so awesome, man. I totally respect that and good for you. So I think, as you know, Tony, like systems evolve and the way medicine was practiced 20 years ago doesn't look like it does today. And probably 10 years ago, 10 years from now, it'll look different than it does today. And so I think there was definitely some frustration that he sensed. I know if my mom definitely articulated it more. And I would say, again, I don't know this, but I know into my journey of challenging and just asking questions to things, like she would she would really be like, yeah, that's a good question and start to explore it a little bit more. At least I saw her do that more. I don't, mm. can't speak to if my dad did it behind the scenes, but she definitely, we would get into some fun conversations together, but I could sense her frustration with the system was definitely more outwardly expressed. Let's say that. Right. And so you mentioned about how much help your wife gave you in many different areas. So what capacity is she involved in, in, in health and so on? Yeah. So there's three spaces that, that we've taken deep dives in. I'll just call it the movement, physical rehabilitation, fitness space. So just everything that has to do with muscles and, and things like that and fitness and rehab. We've also taken deep dives into, I think of it as the systemic realm, which obviously nutrition's a monster there. And then this last space, personal development space, uh, mindset, psychology, et cetera. Those would be the three spaces we have both done deep dives in. My wife has done the deepest dive in nutrition and, and especially working with women with hormonal, different hormone problems and things. She had to navigate her own situation. And so when I say she's been supportive, she's been supportive in that journey of just allowing, creating a space to be supported, to pursue this in the intense way that I've been pursuing. And I'm definitely not the easy, it was a 20 year journey. It wasn't been easy to be part, but be a partner of mine, but I know she's just as passionate and determined to get answers, not only for herself or other, but for people and to share it with others. So in that space, she was extremely supportive, but also just one of the, one of the biggest things I would say that my wife has done for me is just believed in what I was doing. And I'll never forget a moment where I made some decisions and it put us in a really bad space. It was just, it wasn't good. It wasn't looking good. And I remember sitting with her at the kitchen table and I remember looking at her and I'm just like, oh my God, like you can say it. Like I totally screwed us. Like we are like, you can say it. I made a mistake. I should have never done this. And she goes, no, no, I like, I think, I think you're going to learn from this. I think it's all going to make sense. I think it's all going to work out. And I believe in what you're doing and I believe what we're doing. And I can't tell you, Tony, how like, that was a huge moment for me because I was at a place where I was like, man, I think I might need to jump off this ride that I'm on trying to hit this destination that I'm starting to question exists or that I have the ability to reach it. And in that moment, she gave me permission to not settle and keep going, man. And it's those little moments that, that I, like she's been that little angel on my shoulder, just giving me a little nudge here and there. Not to say we haven't had our, <laughs> our um, other moments too, right? <laughs> you're human. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> those happen too, but they're not yeah. as fun to talk about those, things. but yes. So where you are now, how is it that you're helping people? What is it you're doing right now? I would say two spaces. For the last two decades, I've been working very intimately with people one-on-one. -on -one. I feel like I feel like that's where that's where I can measure two things. One, 
I'm all about results. Theory and concepts are great, but I want to know result, right? So to me, to really navigate and know results is you got to be in the trenches with people. You got to be in the foxhole. You got to be with them. You got to that's how you measure, that's how you tweak, and that's what works and what doesn't work. And so I work, I still work with people one-on-one in that space. And so what do I work with? It's really across the board. Like at this point in time, I still work with people that have orthopedic injury that have told they need this surgery or that. And so I'm known as one of the last resorts. Hey, you'll see if this guy can pull a rabbit out of his hat for you. The other space I work with people in is I'll just call it the you know, supporting people in relationships or their careers, like more of the mental mindset space. So that's where I'll take a deep dive with people one-on-one, but I also offer master classes and online type interaction. And I have a book that my, the book is coming out in December, which is really all the 20 years and all these concepts and ideas that people can leverage in that way too. So primarily one-on-one and in small groups. And so if I'm hearing you right from some of the things that you said, so you're you're looking, you're helping people with the with the body, maybe the biomechanics and whatever. And then is your wife helping people around the nutrition side of what issue they've got? Yes, thank you. Right. That's where her focus is more. She's definitely continued on that path, supporting people in the systemic space, taking the deeper dives with people, especially I would say she's she specializes in women and different hormonal type things because that's one of the things she's navigated at such a deep level for herself. So between the two of you, you're truly looking at people in a holistic way. That's been the goal, Tony, is to not be biased by my tool, but be biased on what the client needs. As Warren Buffett says, never ask a barber if you need a haircut. It's one of my favorite lines, right? It's whatever I have, you need. And so I try my best to stay as objective about things. And I call it trying to find the big rock. Someone can come in with shoulder pain. Um, but that doesn't mean they, their biomechanics is what's causing the pain. And I learned that very early on in my practice. And it's not to mention, I could find something biomechanically wrong with anybody and then justify that's what they need. Right. And I just, that never felt right to me. I just didn't feel like I was really helping anybody. I was just helping my bank account there because you could create a narrative. People don't know the difference, right? And so that's why we took these deep dives into these other spaces. And I really wanted to understand the, I call it the trilogy of vitality, but how all these things are influencing. And when I assess somebody really looking for, again, I call it the big rock. If it's not, because people come to me with back pain and this pain and that pain. I'm like, man, you don't need mechanical improvement. You don't need body work. You don't need, like, that's not what you need. Like you, you don't eat <laughs> or I don't know, like whatever it is, or you're stressed out of your mind or so looking at it in that three dimensional kind of space or holistic space and really trying to give somebody what they actually need, not just giving them what I have. And I'm guessing that approach must really surprise some people because they think it's X when it turns out it's something completely different. You got it, Tony. And it's one of those conversations that I've learned to have with people, right? And the way that sounds is if someone comes in and says, hey, my back hurts, I need you to massage it or do what you do mechanically. And I'll say, listen, and I'll walk them through a whole process and really assess those three spaces and get them to a place where it's like, wow, so it sounds like stress in this space is the biggest contributor to your pain. Would you agree with that? They were like, yeah, for sure. I said, okay, if you want to pay me a couple hundred dollars an hour to address the thing that's not the problem, that's up to you. But we've identified that the muscle system may be 15% of the issue. So if you want to spend that kind of money 
and have me address 15% of what we perceive to be the bigger problem. Like, I'm fine if that helps with the symptom, but understand that there's going to be a limitation to what we can accomplish here. And some people were like, yeah, I think we should probably talk about the other thing. Or some people are like, yeah, let's just do that for now. And I honestly, at this stage in my career, I don't even really have that conversation anymore because I'm interested in people that really want to address what's going on. There's Mm -hmm. plenty of people and you can pay a lot less money to have someone rub your back to feel better. You don't need to pay me a couple hundred dollars an hour to do that. So I'll just say to them, listen, man, here's how I can help you. If that doesn't, if that's not what you're looking for, then that's okay. Like here's somebody that does good body work or massage. And if that's all you're looking for, then you don't need to spend all that extra money with me. I forget the figures, but there's something like an enormous amount of disease, illness is attributed to stress. So I'm guessing you're going to know those figures better than anyone, maybe. I don't know the exact because, you know, it depends on where you look, right? Because everyone's got a different statistic. But I don't think, actually, my, my, my good friend and doctor actually showed me some statistics from the pandemic. And I can't, I'm not, I don't know the numbers, but he said, Matt, you got to look at this. He's one of the top two or three things that they identified causing death wasn't COVID. It was the fear. It was the stress. It was the, that's the problem. That was the pandemic. You induce stress about COVID. Yeah, exactly. It's let's terrify everybody and make it all worse. So yeah, it's a real issue right now. And when you pop on talk shows and podcasts, it's what everybody's talking about. And that's Mm. not, not a coincidence. So you, earlier on, you talked about, you you seem to have a different approach to stress. Do you want to expand on that? Yeah, I would say, and I, my public apology to anyone I've worked with over the last 10, 15 years, steered you the wrong way. I'm sorry. And this idea of trying to avoid or mitigate stress. And again, trust me, I didn't figure this out. I'm not that smart. But when you look at the latest research, especially, uh, specifically Aaliyah Crum, uh, Kelly McDougal, Aaliyah Crum's a part of the Stanford neuroscience community over there. I think it, she, she refers to it as a stress mindset theory. And what they're finding is the stress response produces two results with people. It can decrease performance and inhibit health and decrease well-being, or it can increase performance, increase your health, and increase well-being. That's weird. What's going on, right? Like, how does that work? And what they found, which I thought was just, right, just mind-blowing and changed the game for me and also just made fundamental sense based on other principles that I've learned inside of Vitality, was the reason why stress would have a negative effect is the variable that made it have a negative effect versus a positive effect was how people, how they viewed stress. So if people looked at stress as something that was bad, something they had to avoid, and they were inside of strategies to eliminate it, that's what created the negative effects to the point where they measured the arterial walls and saw that when people would orient to stress as a negative thing, that's when they saw arterial wall constriction, which obviously there's plenty of research that stress creates heart attacks and it's bad for your heart. What's fascinating is when people did not orient to stress as a bad thing, they embraced it as a resource or leveraged it to perform at a higher level. 
the crazy thing was that our arterial walls, they didn't constrict like the negative impact of the stress response was no longer there. And mm-hmm. I was like, God, that just makes sense to me from the standpoint of, and this is what I have found across those other two spaces, which is the movement and the nutrition space, that the system is more often on your side doing what it's doing because it's there to support you, not mm-hmm. because it's trying to ruin your day. And so what they found with the stress response, and this really blew me away, Tony, I just love this. So I'm going to share it with you guys in the audience because I don't think it's out there enough. So we all know that part of the stress response, adrenaline and cortisol are secreted and you know how evil, quote unquote, they are. They're really not. You, if you didn't have cortisol and adrenaline, you wouldn't be alive. But there's another hormone that's released called oxytocin. Mm-hmm. And in some circles, it's referred to as the cuddle hormone. Uh, cute, right? But oxytocin is a hormone that actually nudges people or wants, it, it creates the need to connect with other people, like to be social. So isn't it fascinating that the body, our biology, because when is the system stressed? It's, oh, when there's a, something we need to address. Oh, there's something that we have to address. So the system increases the resources to address whatever situation needs to be addressed. And it secretes this hormone oxytocin that encourages us to reach out and connect with others, to support other people, to connect with other people. And that's all built into the stress response. It's okay, maybe this response is here to help us and maybe we should start to align with it as opposed to using all these techniques Just turn it off, shut it down, breathe through it. It'll go away. Like you're anxious, breathe, stop. Oh, it's a negative belief. Or it's like, how do I shut it down as opposed to listening to it? Like, and some of the classic examples of this is, oh, I have this new project at work and like the I'm not enough thing. Oh, I don't think I'm good enough to do that. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you should listen to that. Maybe you should take the resources of, hey, we're about to do something we've never done before. Take those resources and build a skill set with it as opposed to, and this is where I feel like it can be really damaging. And I see people charge into a direction and they're not prepared because they just, oh, that's the fear. Like just forget the fear, like just do the thing. Like you can do it. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. Like maybe it's okay to assess. Do I have the skills? Do I have the capacity to engage in this thing I've never engaged with? It's, huh? Now don't get me wrong. There's, it's a continuum. It's not just this or that. There's an infinite amount of ways to navigate this thing. But what I have found to be incredibly empowering for myself and clients is to stop looking at stress as something we have to eliminate Mm. and really learn how to work with it and leverage it. And I would say some of my most incredible accomplishments were when I leveraged that thing because I had access to things that I don't usually have access to. So of all the patients that you're helping, patients, clients, and what percentage would you say the main issue is something to do with stress? Right now, probably like number one on top of the chart. Now, stress could be stressed, which is just a catch-all phrase, but I think now it's more sophisticated. It's overwhelm, it's anxiety, it's insecurity, like all those emotions are also things that I feel have been villainized. And when you really get down to why emotions exist to begin with is their communication systems, mm-hmm. right? Like they tell you an incredible amount of information, boom, just like this, right? And the system that is communicating to you when you're aligned with what's most meaningful and important to you and when you're not. 
And so when those systems go off, instead of saying, oh God, I'm anxious, how do I turn it off? Or I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so overwhelmed, like, how do I turn off my overwhelm? Instead, you should really ask yourself, like, what is this communicating? Because I can tell you what overwhelms communicating to people. So everybody who's overwhelmed, this is nine times out of 10 with, the, with what's being communicated to you. You're trying to do too many things. That's it. So it's time to prioritize and name what's most important. And That's you, it. And if you look at the definition of what does overwhelm mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You got it. And so that's the paradigm shift, right? And so I say the health paradigm is coaching people to turn it off. Mm -hmm. Vitality paradigm, let's learn how to work with it. And let's learn how to integrate these emotional communications, because let's just assume that they're there on your behalf. Now, there are some exceptions to that. And I won't go down that rabbit hole, but emotions from past traumas that never got integrated and assimilated that's handled a little differently, but I'm just talking about kind of the everyday experience that people have, if that, if that makes sense. Too many things to do, not enough time, that kind of stuff. So you mentioned about your book. So when did you first start thinking about writing a book and why? Oh, wow. It's funny. I went through a major transition last October where I was heavily involved in a personal development organization and really became really clear they were not headed in the direction that I was comfortable in. I've really gotten aside of some of these concepts that I talk about in the book about the health paradigm of personal development. Man, it, it, when you really go all in on some of this stuff, you really create dependency on people and disempower people. And even worse than that, I saw people through some of these practices, becoming very disconnected from themselves, not trusting themselves and trusting in people outside of them that they put into this category of they know everything, I know nothing. And I was all in on it too, Tony. It's not, I'm not saying I was the exception. I, I got into that same space and really started to not trust myself anymore and disconnect from myself and forget why I was on my path that I was on. And so my wife and I made a very difficult decision from the standpoint of we almost lost our house. We lost 90% of our income by leaving, being associated with this organization. So it was difficult in that standpoint, but it was also an easy decision because it was like, yeah, well, like I can't, I can't put my head on the pillow at night and feel good about myself. And my wife was in the same boat. Thank God. Again, she's just been incredibly, been incredible partnering with her. We were willing to let all that go for that. And so what's interesting, Tony, is as the end of the year came and we're just trying to like navigate the damage of losing, I got two kids and I just, it was just, it was a stressful time, but we leveraged the stress and we directed it. And I started writing, uh, I would say at the beginning of this year. And I wrote, I was writing to just try to get back in touch with myself, to be completely honest. Like I wasn't even thinking about writing a book. At that and when, time. You, when you say writing, you just took a good journaling or something. Yeah, exactly. Like I just said to myself, you know what? I'm going to get up every morning and just write for at least 30 minutes. Like I just need to journal. Yeah, sure. Journaling, writing, just processing. A lot of people know that can be very therapeutic just to get things out of your head, see it on a piece of paper. And as I was writing about my experience and how I was feeling, I would say around March, April, I really started to reconnect to the path I was on before I got involved with this particular organization. And I remembered, oh my God, Matt, like you were on this bigger journey. I felt like I got reconnected to myself. I felt like I got reconnected to my mission, my purpose. And in about April, I was like, man, I've completed this part of this last piece of the puzzle, which was the mindset and psychology piece. 
And I said, I think I'm, I think I'm going to start writing my book. And honestly, that was in April. And I still can't believe that I have a book that's going to be published in, in a month or two here. I started writing it in April. <laughs> so who, what is the book about and who is it aimed at? It's aimed for anybody who is frustrated with the health model, is seeking more than being absent of illness and injury, who wants more than that from their life experience, or has been told by the health model, there's nothing more that can be done for whatever they're managing. Um, it's for people that might be in, I'll call it the groundhog's day of needing a certain modality, medication, whatever, to just become dependent on the system. And so if they're looking for another way to look at this, another option, that's what this book presents. And it basically dives into, again, this health paradigm in three spaces, the movement, physical movement, nutrition, and then third mindset psychology. And I break down, hey, this is how the health model addresses these three things. And here's the holes that I have found and things to be mindful of and be careful of. And then I present, hey, this is what I have found to create vitality when addressing the physical body, the nutrition, systemic, and mindset. And there's a, just an enormous amount of case studies in there because I've worked with, and I've been working with people for two decades now. And there's giving people the tools, right? To me, it's about giving people the tools, teaching them how to use them so they can create the life they want to create. As one of my first mentors said, which I loved and why he was one of my most influential mentors, he said, Matt, this is when I had my clinic in LA and we were helping people with physical rehabilitation. He said, our goal is not to put people on our 401k plan. I go, amen, brother. Let's empower these people. Let's get them out there living their life. Like We do not want them having to have a session with us once a week for the rest of their life. I'm, that's not what I'm interested in. So that's why the book was written. And that's really been the mission I feel like I've been on my whole life. So when you explain that and you talked about the three areas, the nutrition, the body and the, the mindset issue. Yes. So this could go on forever. <laughs> if you yes. were to say in each of those three areas, what do you perceive? What do you think is the biggest mistake that most people are making in each of those three areas? Yeah. So I'll keep it short because you're right. <laughs> but number one in the movement space is we had a saying on our wall in our clinic, it's, it was exercise is optional, movement is mandatory. And the fundamental flaw with the exercise paradigm, I call it, is everything is rooted in cadaveric anatomy. And so what that means is we studied a cadaver, which is basically a, a dead person, we looked at the muscles where they originated inserted, and then we made conclusions about what they do. Oh, the just use the bicep here or the hamstring. Based on where it originates and inserts, it flexes the knee. Yeah, on a dead person, not a baseball player who's throwing a baseball, like the hamstring's not flexing the knee. And so to put somebody on a leg curl machine or do stuff what stretches the hamstring in that way, like our whole base for building all of these things we've built in the fitness and physical therapy world is, in my opinion, completely off base because that's not what the hamstring does. And so really, then the next question is, well, what does it do? It's infinitely more complex than it flexes the knee. And the analogy I always use is if someone was like, what do moms do? What are, what's the job of moms? It would, me saying the hamstring flexes the knee is what the hamstring would do would be like me saying mom's jobs are to change diapers. That's what they do. If you want to get cracked across the head, say that to a mom, right? It's an insult. 
Like, sure, they do that, but there's about 4,000 other things that they do on a daily basis. So it's much more infinitely complex. And so looking into the, the quick and dirty is, I would, the majority of a workout program should not be isolating muscles and squeezing them. Right. And that can look a lot of different ways, the traditional bodybuilding stuff, obviously, but even stuff like says, hold this, squeeze this, pull this back. And then I think of the body like an orchestra. You want all the instruments playing at the right moment at the right time. And it's wickedly intricate and complex. You don't want to take the tuba, put it in a room and get it to play really loud and then put it in the orchestra. It's not going to be music it's going to be noise and that's injury. So that's without going too far down that rabbit hole. That's what the movement piece from a systemic piece. And anytime I talk about nutrition, I always say, listen, we might as well start talking about religion and politics right now because it is a wickedly emotionally charged space. So that's my disclaimer. This is okay? where start coming in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So turn this podcast off if you're sensitive to nutrition. And so the things that I challenged in that space was this idea that low calorie, no sugar, no salt, no fat foods are good. And the whole diet and exercise model of restricting calories and burning more, th these things were designed because everybody was overweight, and but somehow it all turned into healthy. And in my book, I say sugar needs a better PR firm working for it because I think sugar has been blamed for everything. And I think there is a wicked overcorrection in that personally, I think sugar is not bad. Sugar is essential. If you don't get glucose to the cell, you're dead. So I think we've overcorrected there for sure. I think some of the fundamental things that we talk about with essential fatty acids and all these things that we're just accepted, that's what I really dove into and asked, wait, why? How did we survive as humans for all these years and not have fish oils? That's amazing, right? So challenge some of those things and really, again, without going too far down that rabbit hole, just kept it really simple. And really, the, to me, what, I, what should I be eating should be based on what optimizes cellular energy production and optimizes recovery. That's the only conversation we should have. We shouldn't be talking about what do I need to eat to lose weight? What do I need to eat to lower my cholesterol? What do I need to eat to lower my A1C? Like we're hitting the bullseye on the wrong target, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like stuff's irrelevant, but it's not, it's not good business. <laughs> There's a whole nother conversation. And so just teaching people like the purpose of food and that, yeah, like it, what really drives me nuts, Tony, is when people are like, yeah, I don't eat fruit because it's got sugar in it. Oh my God, man, like we, we've really gone overboard here. This is insane. So again, major rabbit hole there. And then just to talk about the third space, um, the big, the thing that I really found to be probably the most destructive out of everything I've talked about so far today is this idea that we're the pursuit of joy and peace and freedom, like that as the destination. That I would, I have like firsthand experience through myself and, and seeing this with hundreds of thousands of people following this idea has created the most destruction because we have made the motions the destination. Emotions are not the destination. Emotions are a communication system. Mm -hmm. And so they're there to tell you if you're aligned with what's meaningful and purposeful to you. So to me, pursue meaning and purpose use emotional communication to live purpose, live meaning. And that goes hand in hand with this whole stress thing. 
right? And so I think so many people, when joy and peace are the goal, and if I'm doing it right, I'm joyful and peaceful. And if I'm doing it wrong, I'm overwhelmed and anxious. And so I just need to stop thinking negative things and I just need to be peaceful and I just need to be joyful and then I'm doing it right. And what I have found when that's taken to the extreme is disconnection. You become disconnected from yourself, right? Because your emotional communication system is there to communicate something to you. So the more we say bad, negative emotions, and I just need to feel joy all day, right? There's a new term out there, which is so true, toxic positivity. People are like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm great. I'm always great. I'm always great. That's not real. That doesn't exist, right? That's an artificially, art. I believe something that's created artificially by disconnecting to normal emotions and communications. We're just not taught how to integrate them. We're not taught how to leverage them. So that was the fastest way I could do that. <laughs> There's so many more things I'd like to explore, but we're <laughs> on with time. But I'm going to ask you about the main theme of this podcast is behavior and habits and so on. So what do you think about when it comes to helping your clients, your patients around behavior and habits? What would you say to them? I would say the number one habit to engage with is to start focusing on meaning and purpose as the destination, not what makes you happy. Like It's another thing that's out there that I feel like is can be helpful in the short term but destructive in the long term do things that make you happy yeah but as we all know the thing that makes us happy today doesn't make us happy tomorrow and it doesn't give us a context to leverage conflict and things that aren't comfortable but if we focus on what's meaningful and purposeful to us it gives us the it definitely is going to have us feeling more fulfilled and joyful on the journey but it also gives us the motivation to overcome the obstacles that we're going to face. Like it's going to happen. But if it's meaningful, it's not a matter. The question we should be asking is not, is this going to be hard? The question we should be asking is, is it, will it be worth it? Mm -hmm. Is it worth it? So getting in the habit of really getting clear on well, what is it that I'm actually trying to accomplish besides mm -hmm. the question that the way most people answer that is, well, I just know to not be stressed. That's the health model. So we talked about your book just so on the subject of books, a question I ask everyone is, can you think of a book that has really moved you for any reason? Yeah, I, there's lots of them. But though I will, the one that I would say recently that I just ripped through, it's a great book and it's a quick one for anybody that, you know, because I know most of the people that listen to this podcast, they probably have a stack of books, right? Just like me that I haven't read yet. But this one's a quickie and it's by Stephen Pressfield. The book, the first book he wrote that I think got a lot of publicity was The War of Art, which is phenomenal. So mm. if you haven't read that, it's really good. But his new book is called put your ass where your heart wants it to be. I loved that. And I think it speaks to, like I said, do the thing that's most meaningful to you. Don't let yourself talk, don't talk yourself out of it and show up for it. And it really talks to this idea of it'll be worth it. It won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. So that's what that book really reignited that in me. And so I, I loved it. So if people want to find out more about you and the book, because I think the book's coming out in December, isn't it? Correct. Yep. December 4th. So this is going to be published on November the 1st. So yeah. So oh, it's about fantastic. I'm in a book of four or five weeks, whatever. Yeah. Fantastic. So if you want yeah. to find out more about you, your social media and so on, where would they go? The easiest place would be just my website, which is just matthewlabosco.com. I have a blog there and we'll be using that as the platform for all the other things. I have a Facebook 
an Instagram account, which is just Matthew Labosco. I'm not super active on there. I have a YouTube channel as well, but the best place to stay up to date with what I'm up to would be my website. Okay. And finally, Matthew, do you have a quote that really resonates with you? I got two of them right behind me. They're in my office. And one is the man in the arena quote by Teddy Roosevelt. And the other is the Jesse Rittenhouse quote. And I'll talk about this one, the Jesse Rittenhouse, because I think most people are probably familiar with the man in the arena. But the man in the arena, again, is just to me, the embodiment of living meaning and purpose and going for it, not sitting in the stands and judging people that are getting beat up in the arena, living their, living their truth. But the Jesse Rittenhouse quote is a bargain with life for a penny. And it's a I'll read it really quick and live and life would pay no more. However, I begged that evening when I counted my scanty store for life is just an employer. He gives you what you ask, but once you have set the wages, well, you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire only to learn dismayed that any wage I had asked of life would have willingly paid. And to me, what I think of when I read that quote is I have a blank check and I get to write what my life's going to be. And so don't settle, go for it and live the life you came here to live. I don't, like I said at the beginning, we, I don't believe we incarnated to live a stress-free life. <laughs> that just sounds terrible to me. I think we came here to live a full life and one that's meaningful. And so that quote reminds me to go for it and not to settle. So those two quotes are on your wall behind you, because obviously this is an audio-only podcast, so people can't oh, see Oh, gotcha. <laughs> How long have you had those on your wall? Oh, man. I would say probably 10 to 15 years. Wow. Okay. And that, how often do you look at that or even if both of them? There isn't a day, there isn't a day that, that I don't see them literally placed in my office so that I see them every day for that reason. So that makes me wonder... Well, so I, I think one of my favorite quotes is the way I think of it now is very different to when I first came across it five, six years ago. It, mm -hmm. it's, do you, have your thoughts changed on what those quotes mean over the years? For sure, they've evolved. I would say the one that's evolved the most for sure is the man in the arena quote. I've always liked that quote, but as I explored some of the things we've talked about, it's ooh man like that really means a whole nother level to me and i would say the jesse rittenhouse as well they've evolved the understanding and the application i would say has evolved for sure it's a great point Tony. matthew from what you've described about your book it sounds like a and i'm not saying this to buddy up it really sounds like people really should explore this book because this it's, it seems it's really lacking in this kind of area in the health area people write a book about biomechanics or about nutrition or it's also separatist it's also what's the word i can't remember the word it's not holistic what's the, there's a word i'm looking for and it's gone isolated or compartmentalized yeah. Yeah. But yeah i know what you mean but yeah. i can't find the word either <laughs> yeah so th this it sounds like this is what's really needed and it could be really useful for a lot of people so yeah good good luck with the book Thank you. I appreciate it, Tony. And thanks for uh, taking the time to spend some time with me. I really been fun. Lovely. Thank you. Next week on Habits and Health, episode 92 is with Kathleen Trotter. She's a fitness expert, media personality, personal trainer, writer, and author of Finding Your Fit, which is a compassionate trainer's guide to making fitness a lifelong habit and your fittest future self. Making choices today for a happier, healthier, fitter future. 
So Kathleen has been a personal trainer and fitness expert for almost 20 years. And we dig into a lot more about fitness, about behavior, about health and many areas around those subjects as well. So that's next week with Kathleen Trotter. If you know anyone who gets some value from the episode today shared by Matthew Labosco, please do share this episode with them and hope you have an amazing week. Thanks for tuning into the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. You can also sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.